0: Forever! Dog! Comic books, comic time Writers and artists are on the line They make a splash as a comic's red And take us on a trip behind the spread Watch out for comic book commentary uh-huh. Spinning a winning inside Fix how they got a hot idea Narrative character, visual tricks And Bam. onomatopoeia Uh-huh It's comic book commentary everybody this is B. Clay Moore and I'm going to discuss the first issue of the new Valiant series Killers today, a book that I created along with artist Fernando Dagnino and under the auspices of editor Carl Bowlers. First thing I guess we should address is how the book came to be. So as some of you may know, a few years ago I created A brand new character at Valiant called Savage, along with artist Louis LaRosa, and uh, with uh, some of the series drawn as well by Clayton Henry. Uh, Louis, though, did most of the designs on the character based on uh, my descriptions and some things that then editor Warren Simons and I had come up with. So that was a four-issue sort of prestige miniseries that came out a while ago. And Savage was enthusiastically received. Uh, It was a beautiful book. I was very happy with it. Uh, Lewis was delighted to be able to draw dinosaurs. And Clayton did fantastic work as well. Uh, Brian Reber. What Brian Reber did over Lewis's art was kind of mind-boggling to me just because I think it would be so intimidating to try to approach that with color. It works so well in black and white, but he did a fantastic job. So, again, the book was well-received. Valiant fans have... Repeatedly asked about more Savage. Um, and, you know, in the past couple of years, I've been in touch with Valiant uh, when Warren was there and then when Joe Illich was there briefly and on to Carl and, and discussed the possibility of continuing Savage's story. And there was some editorial turnover at Valiant, and I had stayed in touch with the new editorial staff and was kind of poking around to see what we might do with Savage in the future. When Carl Bowlers asked me if I'd be interested in pitching something related to the Ninja K book, uh, which was an extension of Ninjack that Christos Gage had written uh, recently, and I had read some of that, but I went back and did a little deeper dive into the, the concept, and what Christos had done that was pretty clever was uh, separated the K from the Ninja and decided that uh, Colin King ninjack was actually Ninja letter K – in a progression of ninjas that had gone through the ninja program under the direction of MI6 in Britain. So after talking to Carl, I kind of gleaned what I could from what Christos and his team had done. Uh, Some of the ninjas were referenced directly, Ninja G in particular had some background Fleshed out and, and played a role in, in the Ninja Ninja K series. Some of the others just appeared in sort of a montage shot, and I pulled the, the I pulled the the images out of there and, and speculated as to who or what those characters might be. And uh, I kind of threw through threw things at Carl in really kind of a vague, uh, sort of a, an open ended concept. And I think Carl responded largely to the notion that there was a lot of room for us to play around and sort of flesh out these characters. And one of the key things in this book was we wanted to do some just sort of fast paced over the uh, top action, uh, have a lot of fun with it, um, not get bogged down in exposition or super detailed wordy backstories, sort of throw readers into the fire from the beginning and let them uh, figure out, Where we were, who who the characters were, and where we were going, and I think this first issue reflects that or that goal. So, and really, on top of that, that, it's a fun excuse to play around with uh, a broader version of ninja characters. Um, One of the one of the things that one of the reasons that the Valiant characters in the Valiant universe was so easily revived is because no matter what you think of the original stories from the 90s. And I know a lot of people still love them, but the concepts were usually sort of a combination of really accessible, cool ideas and put together. And they didn't always necessarily follow the most logical reasoning. Uh, I mean, Ninjack, sort of the root character for this series was basically James Bond meets Batman. Um, and, Meets a a ninja, which, uh, okay. I mean, throw all that stuff together and see how it works. Um, So the precedent was set long ago that we don't really need to worry too much about uh, how, quote unquote, realistic the ninjas themselves are. What we know is that they were more like disciples of actual ninjas Uh, early in, in the ninja program. Through MI6, there was involvement of legitimate ninjas, and then from there, their training built upon that basic foundation. So, it, it, it basically it's more like echoes of ninja, um, but they still are rooted in the ninja tradition. And anyway, that gives us a little more freedom with storytelling and stuff. Where you know these are British people raised by the government using sort of hybrid ninja training. Without further ado, let's dig into the first issue, and uh, hopefully you've got a copy of it on hand or a digital copy or what have you. Um, I, I'll I, What I'm going to do, I'm not going to necessarily break down each panel in each page, but I'll kind of go through scene by scene, discuss a little bit about what's happening on the page, um, how we approached it, how it maybe changed along the way, and um, uh, how it how it came out in the end. So let's do that. So the issue begins uh, literally right away. We're in the middle of a fight scene. There's an older woman crouching near a stove in a pot of boiling water and some dark clad commandos uh, appear to be attacking her in the kitchen. And uh, accompanying this action is a narrative caption that seems to be a little at odds with what's happening. It's more a reflection on the nature of true love as love ages, and what have you. Um, So this woman is and I don't. we don't necessarily learn this right away, but this is Devachka. She's a former Russian spy um, who we learned in, in the Ninja K series um, was once the mortal enemy of Agent G or a Ninja G. And um, at some point through a series of events, they actually became a couple. So they've retired at this point to Aspen, Colorado, where they run the ski lodge. And we can assume that Devachka was taken unawares by these commandos and she fights back valiantly um, while Ninja G is out inspecting ski slopes or what have you. So the scene changed a little bit from the writing process to the finished page. Uh, Some of the violence was actually toned down a little bit, but we do see that Vodka for an older woman uh, who has been shot in the arm can handle herself. And uh, she... She manages to take out one of the commandos and and then we conclude with a, the muzzle of a gun pressed to her temple. So we cut from there to Ninja G, who is the one that has been narrating this, this sort of uh, internal voiceover about, oh, about love and settling into comfortable uh, relationships with, with your partner and et cetera, et cetera. And of course, uh, she... <laughs> she opens the door to the cabin, and, and this Fernando did this sort of brilliant reaction shot where she is clearly shocked at the horrors within, and then we see that she's clutching her uh, her dead lover in her arms in a, in a in a widening pool of blood, and she's she's quite clearly in agony. And I would say, and this is this is the most uh, sort of outward expression of her pain that we'll see in the series um, but but right away hopefully it establishes to the reader what her motivation would be moving forward um, also in the in this scene you'll see if you pay attention um, ninja G who whose codename is blind spot is dressed in sort of a unique color scheme in a parka with cool glasses And one, one of the things that uh, that carries throughout the book is that each of the ninjas has their own sort sartorial style, if you will. And, and, uh, from, from there we cut, to, to a scene in Burano, Italy, we see that, uh, there's a well-dressed gentleman who is keeping tabs on reports of the carnage in Aspen, Colorado. And he also makes a note, uh, references Ninja G references to Vodka. So clearly he has some inkling of what ex- exactly is who these people are, even if he doesn't know what's going on. And we don't really know who he is at that point. But what is clear is that for one reason or another, he seems to be keeping tabs on specifically Ninja G. And I think we can probably extrapolate from there that maybe he's keeping tabs, tabs on uh, the broader membership or former membership of the Ninja program. Again, keeping the action flowing, we jump right to London. Boom, it's a rainy night. Uh, we see a man climb into a car and he's greeted by a, a, a katana, uh, a sword at his throat. And we see that Ninja G is not only does she have a sword to throw, she's got a gun pointed to his head. So she's, she means business here from the backseat. And, uh, we learn that this is, um, this is basically if you've read Ninja, 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 or Ninja K, you know that this is, um, the official handler of Ninja, but it's not really important at this point. She, she explains who it is. And she, she believes that MI six might be responsible for the attack on, on herself and Navajka. um, uh, Agent uh, Agent Alcott, on the other hand, uh, quickly, quickly assures her that that's not the case, because why would they do that? Um, now, if you've read Ninja K, the reason that the MI6 and the Ninja program might go after the former Ninjas was sort of made clear. Um, basically, MI6 and the Ninja program screwed up the graduates of their programs, a lot personal lives in order to keep them in line and sort of, uh, do away with anything that would cause them to stray off the path. But he does have a point in that it doesn't seem super logical that they would do that uh, at this point when most of the former members of the Ninja program have long since vanished. Now, this scene was originally written in an alleyway and editorially it was moved into a car, which... Honestly, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense until you <laughs> look at the scene and see how Fernando handled the the rain pattern on the window and the reflection of the rain on the faces of Alcott and Ninja G. And it actually does make for a more evocative um, and sort of impressionistic scene. So anyway, Al- Alcott sends her off to... Um, to He reveals that one of the other former Ninja program members has has been spotted. And that plunges us right back, back to Barano, Italy, Italy, where we probably now realize that the handsome gentleman in the red suit might be another graduate of the ninja program so he's clearly been in Verano for a while he visits this colorful town square uh, one of the things that fernando added to the scene that i'm pretty sure was not in the script is the presence of uh, sort of seabirds uh, birds flying around the square um and, and and what i like about that is as the scene progresses we see them you know floating around the square flying in the background and then when the action really takes off we can see them sort of scatter and, and uh it, it it helps sell the notion that uh, everything is chaos um so this is actually and it's not revealed at this point but um this is ninja j um who if you do the math h i j e f g h i j he was one of the ninjas who came after ninja g um and he has some witty banner with a seafood vendor who's happy to try to sell him some prawns. And in the process, just uh, uh, Ninja Ninja Jay pulls out his vape pen and then the seafood vendor has his brains blown out, um, which is shocking to him. And at that, at that point uh, he is under attack. His vape pen is shattered. Um, I, I think, you know, the presence of the vape pen indicates maybe he's a little douchey. Um, there's a great bit um, in page, I'm not sure what page we're on here, but the, the second page in the fight scene here where uh, Ninja J sort of climbs the seafood cart and does a backflip as innocent bystanders are being blown away. And we see prawns go flying in all directions um, as, as the commando that's attacking him is, is <laughs> double-barreled action shooting, trying to shoot him, shooting an innocent woman in the chest. Uh, Ninja Jay fights back. He... Drags uh, one of the commandos towards him after after piercing his shoulder with a blade, and this is when we first see an indication of the presence of these ninjas' key, um, which is a thing that hadn't really been investigated previously. But as a bullet comes flying at Ninja J, he recites a mantra, and then the bullets ping off of his body. And, as, of course, as they ping off his body, they ping into the bodies of bystanders. Um, not that it seems to concern here he, he the commandos. And, and that's actually kind of an important moment in the story because it's the first time we see that there's carnage happening in the vicinity of the action related to the book. And the main characters don't really seem to notice. You know, they're kind of above what's happening around them. So as innocent people fall by the wayside, it It barely registers uh, to these guys because they've got uh, their own sort of, uh, in their minds, more important battle going on. You know, they're killers, and uh, they expect uh, people to be killed. Oh, it it might be worth noting here that his code name is Carapace, um, related, obviously, to the nature of his powers. Having his vape pen destroyed evidently really annoyed him. He snaps the neck of one of the commandos. Uh, birds fly in the background, and then he's under attack again by another commander who's throwing uh, daggers at him, and he smacks the dagger away. Uh, we realize at this point that that when he recited that mantra, he evidently gained this sort of uh, steel-hard skin. But at this point, he He runs out of the scene. He just tries to get the hell out of there, pushes people out of his way. And there he's met by this mysterious little girl with uh, orange hair, sort of an Asian girl in in what looks like a purple velour or crushed velvet suit. Uh, Super uh, intriguing character design. And the expression on his face when he meets her, I think, makes sense. He looks a little bewildered and says, what now? Um, We don't learn who she is, but she does calmly tell him that they have to speak. Um, so at that point, we cut away a few hours later, we're back at the scene of the crime. There's bodies, there's body bags, there's cops, there's a few bystanders. And oh, there's Ninja G in the crowd in a cool coat and hat. Uh, She asks one of the people what happened. And they explain that there was this crazy fight. Somebody has a broken neck. People are shot to death and masked men were involved, which of course attracts Ninja G's attention. And she wanders off realizing that maybe there's some connection here. And obviously we know that she's in. Italy at this point to try to track down Ninja J. Oh, briefly speaking of Burano, Italy, I, I picked the location primarily because visually it's a really colorful, interesting locale with uh, canals and, and cool setting. But I I think um, unless I'm wrong, I think Fernando had actually recently visited Burano. So he was glad to see it. And I think it shows in his work as well. He really does a great job of creating a sense of time and place. And, you know, you, you, when you use a real locale in a comic book, you're never using the real locale. You're using a hyper-realistic or sensational version of that locale. And obviously, Fernando did a fantastic job at that. I- anyway, that's obviously, that's why Ninja G, Desdemona, Blindspot, is in Italy uh, She's as she's trying to track down whoever attacked her and her uh, lover, Devochka. Um, Along the way, she is accosted by the same little red-haired Asian girl in the crushed velvet suit, who does call her Desdemona Rush. So we realize Ninja G is actually Desdemona Rush at this point. Um, And again, her reaction is much the same as Ninja J's. She sort of crouches down and says, I don't call myself Ninja G these days. And what do you want, little girl? And she actually explains in a little more detail. uh, Her name is Shuriken. And she explains that she's the daughter of the Jonin. Now, for readers of Ninja or Ninja K, they'll know that the Jonin was this sort of ancient, ageless Japanese uh, trainer or sensei, sensei for members of the Ninja Program. Uh, she, ninja G is a little surprised that this young girl would be the daughter of this ageless gentleman. Um, no real explanation is given, but she does ask her to come along with her, and she she notes that she's uh, you know she herself ninja g is much younger looking than what her age should be since she should be in her 70s um and then we have a little scene here where where shuriken explains that one of the secrets to the jonin's long life is the gathering of a particular ancient object. that um, must be, must be tracked down and retrieved periodically. And uh, the object or the artifacts are called the Tears of the Burning Monk. And she reveals that they're in this heavily guarded, deep chamber within the bowels of an old glacier. And the Jonan would like Ninja G to retrieve those for her. And of course, Ninja G has she thinks it's possible that the Jonan is maybe responsible for this or the members of the ninja program who were related to the Jonah are responsible for the things that are happening to her. So she really has no interest in this, but then Shuriken gives her this little sly glance and says, yeah, well, what if we could give you the thing your heart desires the most? I think we could probably extrapolate that the thing she desires the most is the return of her, her lover. And the sort of mundane but happy lifestyle that uh, was shattered when these commandos burst into her chalet and murdered Devochka. From there, we cut back to Ninja J. We learned that his name is actually Roger Thorpe, and he's chilling in the bathtub. His Feet Knees are tucked up. He's got a washcloth over his eyes. The man's just been shot at and thrown knives at and dealt with uh, having to break somebody's neck because they busted his vape pen. So he's probably, you know, just trying to chill in his tub. Um, But here's Desdemona Rush, Ninja G, Blind Spot, uh, with again her sword is now across his neck, much as it was across Alcott's neck earlier, and she does let us know here that he is the J to her G, and again he recites his mantra and snaps her blade in half, which, well, okay, now she sees that that's his power. Um, at this point, we learn that it's the Jonan who had taught Ninja J to access his key and the embodiment of that access is this ability to make his skin, however briefly, rock hard. Of course, at this point, um, we, we do allow ourselves a little exposition, just about the most exposition that we'll see in the series. And, and I, I kind of liked it in the background of the scene as she's discussing things with him and he's he's responding. He's, You know, we see him... Dressing up, and it almost looks like he's getting ready for a date, which, kind of in essence, he is. I mean, to these people, uh, I guess you want to look your finest for a date with um, with violence. <laughs> Desdemona, Ninja G, Blind Spot, uh, sort of allows herself to reflect a little bit on what she's lost and the fact, you know, that these two have they come from the same program where the government manipulated and raised them, turned them into government sponsored killers. Along the way, the government also batted away any loved ones or attachments in their lives which has left them none too happy or not beholden to their former trainers and handlers um, so Ninja Jay towels off, he dresses, puts his shoes and his his red suit back on snaps his cufflinks on, he's talking to her calmly about things he suggests that maybe they could team up get to the bottom of things together um, she says, you know, that's probably a good idea he does drop a hint here. Now, we, we know that we know that Ninja G has lost the one thing that is nearest and dearest to her heart, which is, of course, her lover, Devoshka. What we learn as the series progresses, no spoilers, is that each one of the members, uh, each one of the former ninjas, uh, each one of the killers, has lost something that they hope to regain. And the reality is that might be part of the reason why the Jonah has singled these different members of the, uh, the program out. Um, and there's a, without giving too much away, there's a little hint here when Ninja J says, uh, he survived the early two thousands racked, racked up an impressive body count along the way. I haven't completely lost my edge. Of course, nobody said he lost his edge. So maybe that's something that's on, a, on his mind a little bit. Um, anyway, she turns and says, okay, well, let's, let's see what we can do. Let's see if we can find, and then he, here comes the mantra. He rears back and boom, knocks her right out the window. Um, and, uh, you know. She let her guard down. And I mean, that's what happens when you let your guard down, right? You get knocked the hell out of a window. So uh, we actually leave the issue um, as she is plunging towards a canal, falling through some clotheslines, um, surprised at this turn of events. And uh, in case anybody wondered, there's a note at the bottom of the page that says to be continued, because that's obviously what's going to happen next. So anyway, that wraps up the first issue. Um, And as I said, it's you know, it it, it it moves quickly. We we cut. We, we jump around from scene to scene. We kind of throw these characters at the readers. And then as we go, we drop some hints as to who they are and what they are. There's really no wasted information. One of the one of the things that Carl really stressed was to kind of trim all the fat. And that sort of lines up with my sensibilities as a writer. Anyway, I, I really I, I hate I don't want to start a story before the beginning and kind of explain who everybody is for the reader. Um, You know, it's similar to watching a movie about Batman or Spider-Man where they insist on going through this whole origin process again I'd rather kind of introduce the character And let the reader begin to understand who the character is through their actions and their dialogue And then fill in the blanks as we go once they've kind of hooked into their personalities or characters Um, If if I was going to discuss Influences along those lines, one of my favorite writers in the world is Warren Ellis and something he did years ago in the old Stormwatch and Authority books was throw these crazy characters right in your face. And within a few pages, just through the way they acted, through their dialogue, you kind of had all the information you needed to know about them. And anything else that came along was uh, just sort of gravy, you know, filled in the backstory. So some of these characters were referenced directly in the Ninja K series. Uh, again, Ninja G had actually a, a pretty extensive. Uh, backstory and origin filled in in one of those issues. Uh, some of them were just uh, images on a page that, that we kind of extrapolated who or what they might be. And some of them were created from whole cloth. Um, as the series goes on, we will meet more members of the ninja program, discover you know what their abilities are, what their perspective is, what things they may have lost that they are seeking to regain, and then examine, you know, do they come together? I mean, they're not inclined to be people that are particularly adept at teamwork, but is that the best option for them? Is that the worst option for them? Um, so so anyway, from here, we, we keep moving along the same lines. We meet new characters. Uh, the action gets a little crazier, gets a little more intense. And at the same time, I think each of these characters is hopefully interesting enough and has enough depth that... Any of you reading the book are going to be curious enough to stick around for this whole series and then hopefully to see where they might go from here. What corners of the Valiant universe they might pop up in and, and um, you know, what, how they could act as a fly in the ointment for any of the other characters within the Valiant universe. All right. So thanks for tuning in and listening to this commentary. I hope that you guys have scored copies of the book. As always with Valiant books, there are some pretty cool variant covers available and there will be for the next issues, too. Um, And and again, it's uh, it's a five issue series. Uh, Hopefully the first issue piqued your curiosity enough to keep reading and also to keep probing and poking at valiant to see where else these characters might go and also where else Savage might go. So and I'm pretty easy to contact online. So if you've got any thoughts or comments or anything you uh, want to address or let me know about your responses to the book, feel free to reach out and do so. Um, I'm always interested in hearing what readers and and Valiant fans think about the work we're doing. Um, It sounds like hyperbole, but the first thing I ever did for Valiant was a bloodshot uh, single-issue story. And just the response from the Valiant fan community and just sort of their excitement at tracking the issues down and the variant covers and uh, finding me at conventions and taking pictures and doing it. and, you know, posting those pictures online, it it, it really energized me. And there, there can be so much negativity and sort of useless um, negative energy attached to the industry that the sort of positive enthusiasm and excitement for all things Valiant that Valiant fans embody is – it's it's just different. And, and it really turns me on. So I'm – again, I first noticed it when I just did one single issue of Bloodshot. It obviously continued. Uh, with the savage series um and and hopefully it continues again with killers um i can't you know i can't wait to start getting conventions where people come up to me with the various covers and just want to talk about what's going on um it's it may not be the largest community of fans in comics but there's no doubt in my mind it's it's the community with the most positive energy and enthusiasm behind them so that is always gratefully appreciated so Again, thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoy the series. And thank you, Ben, for having me on the podcast. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Engineered and mastered by Alex Sarche. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcast.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.